And so we're uh, got a few comments to make about the nature of the leader in the congregation of the Lord. We've stated it in several of our studies. We've talked about it. It's not a, a leader is not looking for popularity. He's not looking for anybody to agree with him. If they agree with him, it'll be based on the Word of God. It won't be based on uh, some camaraderie uh, that is sought out uh, outside of the Word of God. A leader is one who will bear in his body the marks of his servitude to Christ. You don't have to be literal marks like Paul's, like the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> you remember in chapter 4 he talked about uh, all the things that he suffered uh, that the apostles were beaten they were uh, hung they went hungry he mentioned a whole bunch of things we're not going to go back over but let me finish up with a few thoughts in regard to his suffrage uh, his final proof of service as an apostle is the marks in his body. Uh, those are the marks that an apostle uh, that uh, in an apostle so if you want to get into an argument Paul says I'll just take off my shirt and show you uh, the sincerity of my service I'll show you my stripes and you show your suffering uh, that I've had uh, and I'll show you the suffering that I've had for Christ and I'll match those against any sermon any argument, any uh, uh, synod, any local uh, treaties that you want to uh, bring up. Uh, that's what Paul said, and that's very powerful, isn't it? Uh, he said, we won't talk. Uh, we'll just show stripes. And there's the proof of the sincerity of a slave. He's marked by his master. In this case, he's a voluntary slave. He's made himself a slave to Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a poem, and I luckily found all of it today. I just had parts of it, but I found the whole thing. Some woman wrote this poem, uh, and it fits very well with the scars that Paul had in his back. Now, last week, remember... We talked about Paul's mention in Galatians of his stripes in the last chapter of Galatians. The, trouble, the, 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 the uh, false teachers that followed him around and tried to make trouble and accuse him of not being genuine, he said, I bear in my body the marks of my Lord that I serve. And then he closed out that letter, don't let no one question my sincerity because I have the marks of a slave in my back. Uh, so here this woman wrote a poem uh, in regard to that, and also in regard to this uh, 1 Corinthians 4. Paul talking about leaders in God's church. They're not popularity contest. It's not a popularity contest. She wrote, Hast thou no scars? No hidden scars on foot, on side, or head. I hear thee sing as mighty and I hear thee 
sung as mighty in the land. In other words, he looked up to. I hear them hail thy bright ascending star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet, yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Lean me against the tree to die and rent. By raving beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wounds? Yet, as the master, uh, as the master, the slave shall be. One pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound nor scar? And so that's the proof of, of a leader in the Lord's church. He's, in, he's endured many scars. It don't have to be literal scars. It can be the scars of being talked against, being put down by members of the church. Uh, Things that hurt as bad as uh, real scars. But nevertheless, he's a man who has endured because of his love for the church, for the Lord. And he will endure things uh, that uh, a man of the world would not endure. He'd fold his book and walk away. But the man of God won't do that. A father in a household won't walk away from a problem. He'll deal with it. And he'll live with the, the misconceptions about him uh, that are unjust, although they hurt. Now, there's two passages I want to bring to mind in regard to these scars. The proof of, of, uh, uh, of one's labor for the Lord. Philippians 1, verse 29. I'll read it to you so you don't have to look it up. Paul said, For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his cause, for his sake. There's a little bit, I think, I think there's a little bit more of Christianity than what we've been taught. We've been left with this concept, hallelujah, I'm saved now, I can go on about life, and, and we don't put up with nothing. If the preacher says something wrong, hell, I'm going somewhere else, I ain't putting up with that guy, and we just off and go, we're looking for the perfect church. You ain't going to find it. You ain't going to find it. It's perfections in the blood of Christ, not in their performance. So you're going to find a congregation like Corinth here that we're studying about that had 17 major problems wrong with it, but Paul declared it was a church of God, that they were sanctified, they were justified, and God would see them through to the day of Christ. And second passage, 2 Timothy 2 verse 13. Paul told Timothy, Indeed, all who uh, desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
it, it's not a question if, it's a fact that it is. You will be persecuted for your cause, for your taking a stand in Christ. Persecuted in many ways. That's just a fact. <clears throat> and so that's what Paul said, and that's very powerful. He said, we won't talk, if you want to argue about it, we won't talk about service to Christ. We'll just take off our shirt and look at our stripes. Because there's the marks of sincerity. Uh, so the marks of discipleship is not the ability to write a good ex, uh, exegesis. It's not the ability to deliver a great sermon and, uh, and move audiences, you know, to tears and emotional. It's not, that's not where it's at. It's how many scars do you have? Where's your scars? How can you claim to walk with Jesus and not have scars, not have wounds? We judge our heroes in the church today by their medals and not by their scars. We look at brethren. Boy, isn't he great? Did you hear him preach? Boy, howdy. We don't look for scars. We look for medals. That's sad. Uh, so that's what he's saying. He's not saying, uh, I'll out-argue guys argue you guys when I get there, there at Corinth because uh, the tomb of God is not a matter of talk. Anybody can talk. Some of us can talk ourselves out of nearly any difficulty uh, position that we find ourselves in and leave the argument unscarred. And so the kingdom of God is not talk about power as Paul mentioned there in, in that verse and where is that power it's in scars it's the proof of servitude don't forget that Paul builds the local church empowered by God he built it he built it imperiled by division composed of fools <clears throat> not resting in human wisdom, and on and on and on he goes, and driving all that to say powerful uh, in all of its scars. So what is the mark of a believer? How many people follow him or the scars that he bears on his back? Now this fatherhood that he's been talking about him being the father of their faith there at Corinth. Uh, if you fathered a boy from birth to a uh, doctorate degree in anything, you'll have all kinds of scars, won't you? You will have suffered to get that boy through all of that if you do that. And you'll love every one of them scars, won't you? <laughs> you don't want them healed. You don't want them gone. 
because you can go back in the mirror and you can look and say, yeah, that one was when we did this and that one was when we did that. And that one was where uh, we walked down that way when this happened. Wouldn't it be great if you preached for a congregation about 50 straight years and you can just take off your shirt and look at all your scars. See the success that come out of those scars that you gave, you endured for the Lord Jesus Christ. But we certainly don't see Christianity that way, do we? We see it as a blessing upon a blessing and a blessing and there's no, there's no price to be paid. Uh, we don't have to walk in the way Jesus did, yet the scripture says and he's our example and we should follow in suffering. Look what he suffered, spittle in the face and all that went on there. Now, I've never had that, and I'm sure you haven't either. But if we did, we would be expected to follow in that the way the Lord did. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, uh, and so if we've uh, led them out of darkness to light, then we'll be qualified to say, as Paul will say, it is actually reported that there's fornication among you. See, that's the next word. Uh, and that's interesting. Uh, he has proved himself to have the right to say anything and everything he wants to say to them. Because he showed his scars, his love for them, his service to them. He showed them who they are in the first four chapters. If you love me, you can say anything you, your heart needs to say to me. But you must first of all make me know that you love me. And of course Paul has done that. And so he goes into chapter uh, 5. As he talks about chapter 5 through the rest of the letter, chapter 16. The nature of the body related to solving problems of body life. Now we've already discussed the fact that you'll not find a church that's perfect. You won't. Because there's people of all different uh, 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 maturity levels. And so the church is involved in teaching, in preaching, in admonishing, encouraging uh, and giving admonitions to people so that they can grow and develop. But if you're looking for the perfect church, good luck. You're not going to find it. If you don't like this one, you can travel from here to you know where and you're going to find it. You get there and you're going to find the same thing. There's a story told and it's, it's, it's true in many instances. A young fella moved into this new neighborhood. He's got the moving van out there and they're unloading their furniture into the house and all their clothes and things. And there's an old man smoking his pipe sitting on his porch next door watching them. And they got the moving done and the young fella that just moved in next to this old fella came over to the fence and introduced himself. And in the conversation, he asked him, he asked the old man, 
What kind of neighbors do we have around here? And the old man smiled, took the pipe out of his mouth, looked at that young fellow, and he said, what kind of neighbors did you have where you moved from? Oh, they was rotten. They was this, that, and the other. He said, well, that's what you got here. Because, you see, the point is, whatever you're looking for, that's what you're going to find. Exactly. If you're looking for the perfect church, well, you ain't going to find that, but you'll find problems everywhere you go. There's nothing wrong in churches having problems. <coughs> it's wrong to tolerate them. It's wrong to refuse to teach and preach the truth that can correct them. <clears throat> All right, so the church in the book of Acts, there were always problems. Read the book of Acts. And there's only two reasons for that. Number one, they're people. And number two, they're growing. And that's why they have problems. Just like in a family. They have problems because they're little people. Well, big people too, but they're people and they're growing. They're developing. They're learning. They're going through their whippings. They're taking their uh, chewings and what, well, anyway. Uh, that's the only two things that causes the church problems is the fact that it's composed of people and it's growing. Now it's always composed of people and if it's not growing it has one big problem. It don't have the leaders that Paul's discussed in chapter 4. But if it's, it's growing it has bunches and bunches of problems because uh, the devil opposes anything going upstream. We have an enemy that we're fighting against, and he's determined to destroy the church. He will come in through some unsuspecting member, and that member don't know he's being used. And the only way you're going to combat problems like that is with the Word of God. That's the standard. Remember Paul declaring that in this letter? We've already studied that. So anything floating the devil's way, he doesn't bother with. He just gets out of the way and lets it float by. He's already got it. He's not concerned about uh, the world out here at large. The devil isn't. He's concerned about you and me. Remember Revelation, well, uh, the 20th chapter? God said that he must loose the devil for a little season. It's so that we can see the reality of what we're against. Because what does the devil do in Revelation 20? He immediately done what? He ran up north and got Gog and Magog, who, if you study the Old Testament, was always God's people's enemy. He gets the enemy, and he comes down, and what does he circle? He circles the church. He don't circle the tavern. He don't circle the gambling halls. He don't circle the prostitution houses. He circles the Lord's church. That's you and me. And if we haven't studied well enough, he finds a weakness in us. And first thing you know, he's trying to destroy us. 
Now, if we're faithful, the Lord will never be destroyed. That's true. Because there won't be one arrow uh, of his uh, animosity fired into the city. We have the security of that. Remember in the days of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, Sennacherib had, was on his victory march from Egypt back to Assyria. And on his way, he recognized that he forgot Jerusalem. He'd already taken the ten tribes up north. He swept down through and took all of Judah captive. He went down to Egypt and licked it up. And on his way back to Assyria, he noticed Jerusalem, the city of God over here. He, he let, Somehow he missed that. So he went over to take it. And his... Uh, he went up to the city walls and hollered over there to the king. And he told the king, in essence, after we've had a good night's sleep and a good breakfast of eggs and bacon in the morning, we're going to reach in there and snatch you out of that city like a bird in a cage. And he could have done it. And he, Hezekiah seen the power of that army. And he knew it was true that it could happen. And he went to God in prayer as one knee smote another, it says. He was trembling, scared to death. And God said, don't even worry about it. This is my city. And the enemy will not fire one arrow into my city. And so the angel of death went that night. I'm assuming on a coffee break. Don't take him long to do what he's sent to do. And he killed 185,000 of Sennacherib's troops. Sennacherib rose the next morning to pronounce a eulogy on his army and to go back to Assyria to fall prey to his two sons as they stabbed him to death and usurped the throne from him. But the picture there is the same picture in Revelation. The devil don't get his job done. He surrounds the church and he shows the church that he's against it. That he's looking for a weakness in its wall of protection where he can come in and destroy it and he destroys a lot of congregations through this uh, through the ch uh, Christians pride because they're nothing more proud than a peacock and we're in Christ and we have salvation and because of that pride we're destroyed because proverb writer says pride comes before what destruction and the Holy Spirit before the fall it's the opposite of humility. It's the opposite of love. Paul's going to talk to this congregation about these matters here in the fifth chapter. So what do you see in Revelation that happened to Gog and Magog and Satan that was loose for a little season? He was judged by God, wasn't he? Because John writes... He's commissioned to write what he saw. And what did he see? He saw Jerusalem compassed about with the enemy, the devil and Gog and Magog. And their, their intent is to take the city of Jerusalem. And that's the end of that picture. What's the next picture? This picture I'm fixing to reveal to you follows that picture of the enemy surrounding the church. And it looked hopeless. But it's never hopeless when we look to Jesus. See, that's the whole point. It's not hopeless when we look to God. That's the whole point. And so what did John see and write about next? 
Immediately he said, I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it, from whose face the heavens and the earth fled away. Who's fleeing away? It isn't us. We welcome the Lord and his coming. Who's fleeing away? The devil and Gog and Magog. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Who's the dead there? Satan, Gog and Magog, all his helpers. They're cut off from God because of sin. Because of their relishing in it and embellishing it. And I saw the uh, dead, small and great uh, uh, flee from God and from His presence. But the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And every one of them was judged according to those their works. And death and hell was cast, along with them was cast into the lake of fire. The sea gave up their dead. The idea is there is no escape for the devil and his cohorts. And he will not destroy the city of God. He will not destroy God's church that his son died for. That was a big chew. I didn't think I was going to get that spit out. But there it is. All right. So the church at Corinth, uh, let's see. Uh, so anything floating the devil's way, he doesn't bother with. He just gets out of the way and lets it float by. The church at Corinth, and I mean this strongly, is... Uh, is uh, strongest of all of the New Testament churches, probably, if you look at it, and probably the most rapidly growing of the New Testament churches after the scattering. Remember Acts 8, when they were scattered and went everywhere preaching the word? Well, it was after that scattering, and, they, and Corinth uh, has quite a reputation of growing, even with all those 17 problems that they eventually uh, ultimately repented of. And probably the regional uh, situation in Corinth was probably the most uh, volatile, uh, multiplying thing that the world has ever seen. But it is said of Corinth, many, uh, in Acts it says, many Christians hearing and believing were baptized. And yet that's the place where it was very volatile to sin and destruction. Remember they had the temple of uh, the goddess Diana there, and they had over 4,500 priestesses that went daily in their roster on the street to solicit men to perform sex acts on the altar to the goddess Diana. Yeah, how would you like to go there and preach? And again, it was a city like New York where all of the trade ships converged and people from every nation converged and consequently the ideas uh, and the religions of the world converged there at Corinth. That's quite a mess, isn't it? And yet Acts says that many Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. That's a quote uh, from Acts when we looked at it some time ago. And so there are uh, their growth arises out of all of these problems. Do you think that they can solve these 17 problems that they got? Oh yeah. Yeah. They won't have any difficulty. They've come out of a, well to put it in one phrase, in a, from a hell of a mess. 
So uh, he has talked to that church about what it is in chapter 1 through 4. He's built it up and showed it what it really is. When you do that, then you can speak to them in a corrective way and they'll take it. They'll listen. But he's talked to them uh, about what the Corinthian church is in chapter 1 through 4. He's talked about that nature of that local body in stressing uh, that for a purpose. For a number of years, loving uh, For a number of years, uh, I'm sure many of us can associate with this, uh, we've loved the universal body of what we call the church. The universal, collectively. We talk about it, we have a love for it. But hating the local body, because we can always find problems within us, can't we? And uh, it's sort of like a fellow said one time, uh, he loves uh, the world, it's people he hates. Uh, that's sort of the way uh, preachers are. If it's not ideal, we want to write it off as something that, that's not of God and is full of the devil and let's find another place. That's generally the attitude of a lot of Christians. I'm looking for the perfect church. It don't have any problems. Well, good luck, because you're not going to find one. It's true, Ephesians 1, verse 4, that God chose us for the foundation of the world uh, in Christ that we might be holy and without blame before Him in love. But that holy and without blame is not by our performance. It's by the blood of Christ because we all got problems. And we lean heavy in our understanding of 1 John 1, 7. As we walk with God in the light, the blood of His Son continually, day and night, 7:24, the blood of His Son continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so all that God is, wants of me is, is my sincere fellowship and desire to be with Him. And he'll take care of the rest. He'll lead me as a son. And so we move from this place to that place uh, and to that place looking for the perfect church. But the problem is wherever we go, there we are. And uh, therefore the problem goes because we're the problem, you see. We don't need to look for a problem. We are the problem if that's what we're doing. We're looking for the perfect church. Now, we can get the intent of what uh, I said. Probably if I go to somewhere where I like it, probably I go to an unproblemed uh, place. But as long as I'm there, they've got problems because I'm the problem. If that's what I'm doing, I'm looking for the perfect church. I'm the problem. <clears throat> a preacher called once to boast that he had found a place, uh, not a single problem there. And another guy begged him not to go and, and don't tell anybody in the brotherhood about it. Because uh, as soon as the preacher gets there, you've got all kinds of problems. 
So the local body is empowered by God. Chapter 1 through 4. It's imperiled by division. It's composed of fools for Christ. It rests, it's resting on the wisdom of God. It's comforted by the word of Christ uh, being the work of God, the work of man. That's what the local body is. Uh, and all of those things that we mentioned, uh, uh, Marx uh, makes it not only the, the holiest, but the most powerful thing that lives in the universe other than God is the church. We don't see it that way, though, because you can only see that with the eye of faith. Oh, we're, we're not as strong as the Senate and the House and, the, and the, the powers that be out here, are we? We certainly are. There's only one that is higher than us in power, and that's God. And He's with us. And of course, it's powerful as God since uh, He's behind it, and His Son is the head of it, and His Spirit is the power of it, and His Son's blood uh, animates it. It's nearly divine, isn't it? When you look at it that way. It's the church of God. It's the church of Christ. Surely a church like that has no problems. I mean, a church without all those powerful entities in the background surely would have no problems. Well, only 17 separated, separate ones here in the book of Corinth, uh, which starts in chapter 5 this, this evening. Every one of which we would count fatal and yet, it's still living. Now, I want you to place yourself at Corinth as we go through these 17 problems. You would have already written these people off. Right off the get-go in chapter 5, as he deals with the, uh, the, pro the 17 problems, here's a man living with his father's wife. Could you have endured that? I'm out of here, boy. I ain't putting up with that. And off we'd go. I'll find another church. Well, somebody has to love demands that this man be corrected. And he was by love. Uh, we'll see that eventually in 2 Corinthians. The man repented. But what did he come out of that caused him to do that? Live with his father. Take his father's wife. He had no shame of it because in the culture he came out of, there was no shame there. You ever work? You ever been around somebody that couldn't blush? I worked with a pipe fitter once. Come out of a hell of a home. I'm telling you, there's, there's no way to describe what he come out of. I felt sorry for him. Uh, he would talk about things that would make a sailor blush. It didn't bother him because he had no upbringing. He had no teaching. I feel sorry. You know, you've got to be taught how to blush. God indicted Israel on one occasion and said you lost the ability to blush. So blushing is the result of knowing, of being taught. He couldn't blush. 
And so, uh, starts in chapter 5, every one of these 17 problems would uh, count fatal, and yet it's still living. Isn't it amazing the, uh, the uh, realizing of our human body? The human body, uh, uh, its resiliency, there's something in you right now that if you were as weak as it is, you wouldn't be here. You'd be dead. And the body is not weak as its uh, weakest member. Praise the Lord. It is as strong as the compost strength of all of its members. Now we discussed that a little bit earlier. Uh, I even forget what lesson we were studying. We got several going. They, get, they, they blend together, don't they? But you remember we talked about how that a candle lit out here and showing its light and a strong wind will go out. The wind will blow it out. But what does a strong wind do to a bed of coals? It just makes them burn brighter. And so there's the benefits of being a part of a congregation and working with that congregation and uh, benefiting from it. Uh, but even uh, knowing that it's strong as composite strength of all its members, it still has weaknesses, and if we can correct those weaknesses, it will be stronger, uh, more effective, and more successful. And so we've flip the coin here in chapter 5 and we begin to talk about the nature of the body related to solving problems in the body. All, uh, all we normally want to do is attack the problem from the problem's viewpoint. Uh, let us get a passage that shows that this is a problem. Most of the brethren that are in problems know it. Most people that are sick know it, they know they're sick, and they don't want anybody, another diagnosis of their illness. Now that's basically what we expect experts do, is diagnose. We go and check our, uh, the church's temperature again, and their pulse rate, and we give them all the big tests, and then come with the, y'all are sick. And that's what the uh, that's what the last eight experts told us. Does anybody know how we can get over this sickness? That's the whole thing. We're good at pointing at problems. We're good at naming problems. Uh, we're good at analyzing problems, but we seem to be fall short when it comes to knowing how we can get over them problems and repent of them. Uh, so when you go to the doctor and he gives you the prescription, uh, I don't even want to know the name of the medicine. Uh, Reno always does, did. But I don't even want to know the name of the medicine. I just want the doctor to tell me, take this and you'll get well. You know, I don't care. I don't, he don't need to tell me what I got. Just tell me what 
how I can get over it. I don't ask any questions for conscience sakes. I just take it because I trust him. And if I didn't get well, I'd call him up. Doc, it didn't work. And he'd say, well, uh, let's try this. But understand that doctors are still pra uh, practicing medicine and they practice on us. But you know, eventually, they will find the thing that uh, cures. And that's what the church needs to be looking for, is this, the scriptures, the principles that cures. One of them is the basis of the cure is love, isn't it? Uh, well, Paul has presented the cure. It's found in the nature of the local body. And if I believe what chapter 1 through 4 says, then chapter 5 through the rest of the book, uh, chapter 16, does not disturb me. It challenges me. But it doesn't disturb me. It doesn't perplex me. I don't get distressed or hit, uh, uh, or hit the road, Jack. I mean, I don't do that. Uh, I don't hit. I don't hit it. Nor do I tell anybody else to hit it, because I am at the place where all problems can be solved. If we have problems, where can they be solved? Right here. Now the first problem the church faces is that of disciplining itself. In chapter 5, here's pollution within the body. In spite of all that Paul had to say about the body in chapter 1 through 4, it's still capable of uh, being polluted. And it is polluted. That's uh, that powerful body of uh, one through four has uh, pollution within it. It has sickness within it. And that sickness needs to be purged. And the body's capable of doing this. If I didn't have chapter one through four, I might have given up in chapter five. But I've already found out the capability of the body in chapter one through four. Now I'm going to talk about the capability of the body. I mean, the body has problem uh, has problems within with, uh, within it. Uh, name the body, and it has problems within it. Human, divine, secular. Any human body has problems within it. Now the first thing he says in verse one is what this act of sin. Uh, there's sin in the body. It's sort of like, uh, not uh, exactly like, but sort of like uh, Achan in the book of Joshua. Uh, and if you want to look that up, it's Joshua, the seventh chapter. This is the very similar to that. There was sin in the body. And so 36 Israelites are dead on the hillside when they tried to beat Ai. And so sin is in the body that would affect, that affected the body. And there's the sin that's in the body. It is, he says it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality, that's fornication, among you. And of a kind that does not occur 
even among pagans, that a man has, uh, that means sexually, he has, uh, a man has his father's wife. This sin was well known. He's not reporting rumors, Paul isn't. The word actually reported there in the text means in reality reported. This is no rumor that Paul's dealing with here. This is based on fact. When he said it was actually reported. Actually, the text says it is being heard. So it doesn't come from one source. It's not one person reporting and Paul believing them. Uh, we're prone to do that sometimes, aren't we? Hear one side of the case and make up our minds before we hear the other side of the case. And normally, nine times out of four, uh, you're wrong when you do that. But Paul is saying here simply, uh, I've been told uh, this again and again and again. It is being heard. Uh, I'm continually hearing. And so this was not a report from the household of Coley uh, alone. Although they might have reported this, uh, he didn't hear it from them alone. But this is a real, actual report, and it's known in enough circles to destroy the church's reputation unless something is, uh, is known about it. That's the idea of it being reported. You may think uh, this is uh, uh, secret, but it's not. It is actually being made public. Now, the nature of the sin is P-A-R-N-E-I-A, fornication. That word, pornea, actually originally conveyed the idea of uh, selling males and females for lustful purposes. That's the original thought in that word. A good-looking young girl, they would sell into slavery, into prostitution. That's where the word came from. Uh, a very repulsive word. It has to do with more than simply sleeping around or uh, uh, an indiscretion or shacking up or all those other phrases that's being used. It was much worse than that, this word Paul used here. This was more than uh, that in the original meaning. And so it was a very repulsive thought involved. Of course, it came to mean any sexual relationship that was illicit, like adultery, fornication. Adultery is within the circle of that word pornea. It's the larger word homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, any of those sexual perversions. But the more perverse it is, the more close it is to the original meaning. So this was a specific sin, and that spe specifically was a uh, was a 
thing that even the pagans didn't tolerate. Now that's pretty bad when the church is allowing this fellow. We're going to find out that they're allowing him through pride. Uh, they're proud of the fact that they tolerate this guy. And you're going to find out as we study this that that's what we do a lot of times. We tolerate things that shouldn't be tolerated, but rather taking Paul's advice here, we need to withdraw from some people. Now that doesn't mean you make a public statement. He's talking individually. You don't have dinner with people because what's the what is the closest intimate relationship you can have with people around your dinner table? And what if you cut that fellowship off? The man knows there's something wrong between you and him. And he starts looking for what it is if he's concerned. And maybe he comes and talks to you. And you, with a tear in your eye, can tell him what the problem is and the fact that he needs to repent. Anyway, so, uh, so even the, uh, Paul says, even the pagans uh, don't tolerate these kind of things. And so they were tolerating something uh, severely condemned in Leviticus, the 18th chapter, and also in Deuteronomy 22. And there's other passages that deal with sexual immorality in the Old Covenant. And it was to be dealt with with stones. I mean, this was a capital offense for this uh, sin. You stone them to death and put the sin out of Israel. And so there's the sin, gross in its definition, specific in its statement, and not even done among the Gentiles. I mean, this is the worst of all things that could uh, be happening to the body, the church here at Corinth. Now, since the Roman people, which is the basis of the Corinthians, uh, Greeks and Romans, particular Romans, uh, remember Julius Caesar rebuilt the city in 46 B.C., and so the Roman uh, uh propensity for morality would make this accusation even worse. This is not even known among the Romans. Just think of how many homosexual homosexuals Nero and those folks had and know that this is one terrible incident that you have in your midst a sin that even the pagans would not allow to be in their midst. And so there's Sodom and Gomorrah all over again here at Corinth. Notice the attitude of the body about it, about this problem. Here's their attitude. And it's sad to say it's our attitude a lot of times. Not my problem. Not my problem at all. Uh, uh, just ignore it, Maud. Just ignore it. Remember how great that body was in chapter 1 through 4? Well, that's the attitude. What's the attitude of the body? Verse 2. And you are proud. Now, they're not proud the guy's doing it. 
they are just proud and they're trying to keep from doing anything about it. Uh, shouldn't Paul says, shouldn't you uh, rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? And so their attitude is they're proud of their tolerance. We're a tolerant people. We can put up with anything. We love everybody. Therefore, uh, they've, they've got swell heads instead of broken hearts. They should be broken about this problem amongst them. And that's what Paul does is scolds them about this, tells them their pride is keeping them uh, from doing anything about this problem. They're ignoring it. They're tolerating it. And so they're not able to carry out the discipline that would be demanded by that. In Revelation, the Lord uh, condemned two congregations out of the seven that he wrote to for tolerance. And one congregation is praised for their intolerance. Revelation 2, verse 14 and 20. And Revelation 2, verse... Uh, 28 and verse 6. Tolerance deals with three uh, congregations in the book of Revelations uh, statement from Jesus and two of them condemned for tolerating. One tolerated the teaching of Balaam and the other tolerated the woman Jezebel. And Ephesus was praised for not tolerating the teaching of the Nicolaitans. You see, the Bible doesn't speak of tolerance. Uh, it speaks of bearing the weak brother, weaker brother's burden, but you're still not tolerating anything he does that's wrong. The Bible never justifies tolerating wrong. Now, you may bear a weaker brother's burden, but all that time you're bearing his burden you're talking to him about his wrong. Now that's part of bearing his burden, isn't it? Uh, it is the fact that it's, it's uh, instruction of what's wrong with him. Not only is pride their reaction, he says, Paul says, you are proud. But they even had the lack of mourning. They were not mourning this situation. They were not in grief. He said, shouldn't you rather uh, have been filled with grief? And so not only should they not tolerate it, they shouldn't be indifferent toward it. It ought to fill their soul with sorrow and grief. And that's the problem with us sometimes, is individuality. We walk away as though it ain't, ain't my problem. It certainly is. If you love the Lord, you love his church that he died for, and you love the members of that church, and you are grieved when you see things that's not right and need to be corrected, and you, rather than being proud of your tolerating these kind of people, you will set out to see if you can't, out of love, fix it. You won't meddle into their business, but the first thing you do is let him know that you cannot agree with him. And so Paul's going to say you don't sit down and have supper with him. You don't invite him to your dinner table. But 
because that's the closest fellowship you can have other than with the Lord in the church. And so, uh, had they not done that, had they not tolerated it in their mind, had they been filled with grief in their soul, then they would have uh, this lack of dis uh, lack of discipline. They wouldn't have this lack of discipline. They would have taken care of it. And so, Paul says, shouldn't you have been filled with grief and put away from you? Uh, or your fellowship, this man that did this. Now the Greek says, shouldn't you have been filled with grief that you might have put away? And that word that is henna in Greek with the result of you putting away. And so anytime you see that little Greek word henna, that means uh, this states that you should have done what just happened to get this done? That this just happened that it that might be done. The best in English is in order that. Or shouldn't you be filled with grief in order that? Uh, they can't put away this guy without this feeling. Without the feeling of grief. The guy will never be put away. And if he were put away, it would not result in any significant good if it didn't come out of an intolerance of sin and a grief over a brother who has sinned. See the first clause and the second? If I'm toler tolerant of sin and you become full of sin, I become filled with grief because, number one, I don't tolerate sin. And second, number two, I love you. See, if I don't tolerate sin and my brother becomes full of sin, then I become full of grief for two reasons. Because I hate sin and I love sinners. And so that's the cause of that grief and will bring about the discipline. That's what will bring about discipline. Now the The attitude uh, of the brethren is nearly as bad as the sin of a brother in it. I mean, his fornication is terrible. Paul, uh, but Paul, Paul's point is, uh, it's manifest, and uh, it's manifested a weakness in you, in the brethren. It's not manifesting a weakness in the body. Uh, if this brother can be saved, uh, we want him saved, so we're going to go about church discipline. But the body is what Paul is really looking at. You he says you should have been filled with grief, shouldn't, uh, shouldn't you? If you don't, if you don't tolerate sin, and you love this brother. Shouldn't you be filled with grief? That's his question to him. If you uh, be filled with grief, will you put him away? Uh, we don't put people away 
in the body today because we are tolerant of sin and we don't love the brethren. That's the whole problem right there. We don't have enough love for one another. We'll tolerate quite a bit, won't we? We'll just walk away from it. We'll have this attitude, not my problem. Boy, they sure got problems. I had a guy who used to call me every week and tell me what the congregation, where he went, done. They done this, and they done that, and they said this, and they said that. <laughs> I finally got tired of this guy with that approach, and I asked him, I said, hold it. I said, aren't you a member of that congregation? Well, certainly. Well, I said, I just wondered you always referred to them as they. See, that's the way we refer to people that we ostracize. Anyway, he quit calling me. <laughs> uh, uh, so, we're not driving uh, this guy away by re abstaining from fellowship with him. Uh, he's living with his father's wife sexually. He's already away. And we need to recognize that. Uh, he's, uh, he's out there in sin, and he needs to know that he's, uh, he needs to know that we don't endorse it. We don't tolerate it. We will not tolerate it. Again, there was two churches in the seven churches of Asia that the Lord addressed letters to in Revelation, the first three chapters, and he condemned them for toleration. Again, that comes from no love for one another and this attitude of, ain't my problem. Well, our time's up and we'll begin somewhere in there uh, next week. This is, is this a third? Yeah. Is it all it is? Yeah. <laughs> Well, if this is the third, what's what day is it? <laughs> oh, no, it's the eleventh, isn't it? Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to me. We stumble around enough; we'll get something out of it, but. Uh, Paul talks about the church's problem of pride and they had no grief. Uh, and that's people that just look to themselves. They have no love for one another. If you love a guy and he's living in sin like this guy with his father's wife, uh, you would naturally be grieved and you'd do like Paul said. You would abstain fellowship with him. You wouldn't be inviting him over for dinner and it's going to make its impact on him. He's going to start looking at it. What, what, why the church? I, I used to be in fellowship with them now. They withdraw their fellowship. And we're going to find out it's individual. It's not congregational. We don't get up and announce and say because I, the preacher, thinks that this person ought to be withdrawn from, 
we're going to withdraw. No, no, no. We don't follow men. We follow our consciences. We allow the Lord to teach him. And they all knew that that was wrong. They'd come out of paganism. A lot of them was familiar with uh, every act of paganism. And so they... Uh, but they were being tolerant as though the love of Christ is tolerant. Is Christ tolerant? Not with sin. Not with sin. He come and died for sin to do away with sin and his penalty. And do you read anywhere in here where you're to tolerate sin? We stand opposed to it. But we stand opposed in a in a state in a stance of love, not haughtiness and arrogance, looking down our nose at others that's wrapped up in sin. But we have grief. And of course that's what Paul said there. Alright. Well, I've tried to do my part. <coughs>